The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives. Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane, for the next 60 minutes as we look at nanocellulose. And also later in the program, we'll be looking at super advanced foods, how technology is changing everyday products all around you. We'll be taking your questions throughout the program on technology trends. You can submit questions and comments via email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com, or you can call in live at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788 questions and comments on any topic we've had a lot of questions and comments already coming through thank you for those joining me in our opening segment this morning as we explore the nanocellulose revolution are kim nelson vice president at american process and head of nanocellulose technology development there also we have theodore retzina is uh, with us this morning she's the ceo of american process and also a living legend in the global pulp and paper industry good morning theodora also, good morning, Kim. Good morning, Thanks for joining Jim. us on Terratech. Thanks for joining us on Terratech today. Good to have you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Great to be here, well, Jim. And I need to congratulate you on yet one more forum that keeps us informed. Uh, many congratulations. Uh, tell me, is this uh, uh, just started? I haven't uh, heard it before, but uh, as always, we expect that we'll stay informed and intrigued by your uh, news. Well, thank you, Theodore. That's very that's very good of you. Um, Kim, let's uh, and Theodore, let's let's uh, take the listener back to the world of nanocellulose. Nano sounds very exciting. Cellulose sounds very exciting. What is it, and and how do you make it? What do you make it from? What's uh, uh, what's the primer uh, on nanocellulose? So okay, so nanocellulose. Um, the easiest way to to explain it is cellulose that is made smaller, therefore nano implying very small size. But it's not just made smaller in terms of uh, grinding it to a dust. It's made smaller in specific ways, which means we have cellulose that has uh, geometric parameters with a high aspect ratio. Think about it like uh, little, very stiff, nano-sized rods. And when we do reduce the cellulose to such dimensions, we get a material that has incredible properties. It's eight times the strength of steel, twice the strength of carbon fiber, plus it, is, uh, it, it has uh, high heat stability, it has optical properties, it has many novel properties which uh, in itself and in compounding with other materials uh, create a number of opportunities in reinforcing as well as creating completely new materials. Kim? So eight, 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 eight times stronger than steel, that's... Uh, <clears throat> That's a headline there. What's uh, you know the usually the 
the the test for a super material is you know the old the old story that that Superman could bend steel in his bare hands. Could he could he bend nanocellulose? Is it is it flexible as uh, well as no. strong? Nanocellulose is not flexible. Nanocellulose is more of a crystalline rigid material, so it adds strength. So one of the many applications is to combine it with plastics and other materials that uh, have some uh, plasticity but uh, do not have the strength and therefore uh, create uh, you know, materials that combine uh, optimally the properties of the two. What are, what are, so tell us some of the applications that we might see for this technology as it emerges. What, what are the kind of things that we might see first? You mentioned plastics. Is that, would that be the breakout or are there other applications under development and, and as specific as possible? Let's talk about you know, real products in everyday life. Sure. Um, and here at the American Process, we've done a very large uh, market analysis, or at least what we consider a large market analysis, to identify the market. Uh, in terms of size and in terms of readiness to applications. So um, if we step back from our analysis, we have uh, segmented the market in sectors. Some sectors are high volume, some sectors are low volume but very uh, high price. So let's talk about everyday projects. As you know, one of the big uh, drives now of sustainability is lightweighting all types of packaging. Uh, that uh, talks to decreasing the footprint of producing the packaging, as well as uh, decreasing the cost of transportation because we have a lighter weight package. This goes for plastics and paper packaging. So one of the ready-to-go applications is using nanocellulose to create a stronger material, whether it's paper or whether it's one of the many types of plastics, and therefore reduce the amount of material and then get the benefits of reduced transportation costs and uh, uh, reduced carbon footprint. These are products that we have been working with. We've been working with many companies on this field, and uh, I would say that these are near to market and we'll be seeing that soon. But of course, there are other exciting applications, and Kim can tell us about the JDA we just signed with Birla. Sure. So we issued a recent press release with uh, Adibia Birla's Berla Carbon Group. We've been working with them for several years and found that the combination of nanocellulose and carbon black in tires significantly reduces the rolling resistance of tires, which is basically uh, the friction that requires more energy to drive the car. So this is one of uh, Berla's um, key sustainability drivers is to roll, uh, limit rolling resistance to tires. And we've signed a JDA to continue our research and uh, commercialization efforts in this field. Now, for those that are um, not so familiar with rolling resistance, isn't that one of the reasons why people tell us that we should always keep our tires inflated because that's that, that flat flatter tire creates more resistance, and that's that's one of the reasons why. So it, it ties into fuel efficiency as well as um, as well as uh, tire life uh, life and duration. Is that, uh, exactly. is that is that correct or is yeah. that oh that is correct gracious me a Terratech first <laughs> we got that right so um, so we also hear speaking of cars that lightweighting is a big big issue for um, car makers around the world whether they're in Detroit Japan everywhere around the world they talk about lightweighting the vehicle as a part of making their uh, cafe uh, requirements the corporate average fuel economy 
could nanocellulose play a role when you're talking about light winding and strengthening? It really makes you think about uh, turning uh, turning that over into the uh, the world of, of car making. Is there an application there down the line or, or near? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of applications in improving the efficiency of uh, automobiles with nanocellulose. First, you have uh, the light weighting, and then also this uh, efficiency through the tires that uh, you and Kim just talked about. Uh, the Department of Energy has actually identified that one of the main uh, challenges in increasing the efficiency of the car through light weighting is the discovery and practice of materials like nanocellulose to create lightweight uh, plastics. We have done tests with a number of plastics in order to understand how much nanocellulose you need to put to get the same performance at a reduced weight, and the performance can be strength, the performance can be impact strength or tensile strength, several things. And what we have found is that with very little quantities, we're talking in the few percent of uh, nanocellulose, we can uh, many times increase uh, the strength by 50, 100%. So that means that there's a potential for a 20 to 30% light weighting of the cars by the addition of nanocellulose and achieving savings for the manufacturer at the same time. So creating lightweight sustainability and cost savings for the manufacturers. This is the promise and uh, the potential of nanocellulose. When I was doing a little but bit of research... I have to say on, something oh, here, uh, oh, Jim. Sorry right to interrupt ahead. you, but... The challenge, however, has been that up to now, nanocellulose was incompatible with plastics because nanocellulose coming from the plant likes to adhere to water and plastics coming from oil do not like water. So the big challenge was how to compatibilize those two materials. And this is one of the breakthroughs that Kim and her team have achieved in creating a functionalization of the nanocellulose and making it, in essence, totally compatible with polymers. That's a major breakthrough, and it opened a whole world of uh, plastic applications. We're very proud of Kim and her team for achieving this. Yep. And to that, I'd like to add that in the coming weeks, we'll be issuing uh, two press releases on uh, JDAs in the plastics reinforcement field. Well, you can whisper those to me right now, and I'll, I'll hardly tell a soul. So... <laughs> Well, we'll be sure to let you know when the press release comes out. How about that? Oh, okay, that's a, that, that's a fair deal. I'll hold you to that. Hey, when I was when I was doing my research on nanocellulose, when you guys first were were uh, developing these applications and this technology, this underlying technology, we'll talk about a little bit more about what makes it different and why it's transformative. Very interesting talking about the the polymer the polymer uh, uh, applications. But one of the things that came up in in the research was that you can actually eat it. It's a low-calorie replacement for carbohydrate additives used as thickeners. Is that myth, or can you actually use this in food applications? Can you, can you eat it? Absolutely. Actually, it's not you can eat it. You do eat it. You eat it every day. Uh, every time you eat an apple, you eat cellulose. So it is totally biocompatible and uh, bio, let's say non-toxic, compatible to human skin. And yes, a lot of the thickeners that uh, are used in mayonnaise and toothpaste, etc., already contain uh, cellulose. And sometimes also nanocellulose or microcellulose in different forms. So, yes, one of the 
advantages of cellulose and therefore nanocellulose is that it is a totally natural, non-toxic, biocompatible uh, material. So, as a matter of fact, one of the researches that we are doing is using nanocellulose as a scaffolding for growing human tissue uh, for replacing uh, parts in surgery. And that's a, a research that's being done based on nanocellulose by us and by others. But, yes, you can eat what it. Kind of, what, what kind of things can you do? In, in, you mentioned surgery. We have a top story actually coming out in new later uh, today about skin replacement. So I'm, I want to ask about that. What, uh, what kind of medical applications could there be? Sure. Well, uh, the one that we're uh, actively working on under a JDA with a uh, reconstructive surgery group is uh, 3D printing of nanocellulose and human cells to make customized um, facial um, parts, for example, a nose or an ear, uh, where the cells grow on the nanocellulose scaffolding to wow. a uh, personalized yeah. uh, facial feature. Personalized, customized. So this is for you know people who are terribly injured in, in accidents, or is this for um, exactly. other? Yep. Okay. So, yep. so or deformity of some sort. Yep. You know, NASA has been talking about this kind of technology quite a bit, and they've in, invested quite a bit in you know in in three D printing technology because they've realized that there are no hospitals on Mars, and when we get mm-hmm. there, we're going to have to have all the ability to you know to possibly print. Uh, materials that can re- that can offer the same kinds of uh, you know replacements and 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 therapeutics that we have here on Earth. So, three um, D printing. Do you do you see that as do you see do you agree that there are space applications for the, for these kinds of technologies? Well, this is the first I heard about the NASA, NASA initiative, but that sounds like we should certainly talk with them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if they've gotten quite to na- to nanocellulose, but they are looking for. Th- uh, they are looking quite a bit in their their Mars habitability and also Mars transport. It takes a couple of years to get out there, and as we saw in The Martian with Matt Damon, you know, something goes wrong. It takes about four years to come and pick you up. So, so they they do look at things quite in a different way than than they do over you know here here on Earth where you just go to the Seven Eleven. So uh, let me let me ask. Yeah, so let me ask you... Uh, but the, just the area of uh, 3D printing in general has a lot of problems for nanocellulose. I mean, there are a few materials that can actually lend themselves to 3D printing, uh, to be inks for 3D printing, and nanocellulose is one of them. Great. Well, we, we'll, we'll, we'll stand by to hear more about that. Um, so this is kind of like edible Kevlar is the way it's kind of sounding. You can, It's got this amazing strength and, and rigidity and adds uh, lightweights, um, how does it how does it compare to Kevlar, which is a product that many people would would know something about? Uh, exactly how it compares. Um, I, I like very much your characterization. I mean, you come up with this really fantastic short characterization that gives a meaning. Edible Kevlar. Uh, I don't know exactly how it compares uh, in terms of uh, strength per weight. Maybe Kim. Well, that's just the the t- carbon fiber, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a um, synthetic fiber that um, theoretically, it, nanocellulose as an individual particle has the same strength as Kevlar. Unfortunately, we, we don't have a nano-sized Superman to bend an in- individual nanocellulose particle. So we can only uh, test them um, in, in matrices or as films, for example. Um, 
but we, we do have a project going with Georgia Tech where the, and uh, University of Tennessee and Oak Ridge National Lab where they're uh, spinning fibers from nanocellulose in a, a unique way to um, really center the fibers together so that then we could test these fibers one-on-one with Kevlar, and that's the intent of the project. That's uh, being sponsored by our uh, DOE award, recent DOE award, to scale up the nanocellulose and biojet fuel at our Thomaston biorefinery. Wow, we want these products like tomorrow. What's the commercialization pathway? How soon can we expect to see? Is this is this um, months away, years away from big commercial volumes? I know you're you're delivering volume to customers now, but um, you know when are you going to make more of it? It sounds really exciting. Well, one of the challenges of nanocellulose, I mean, the, there are many challenges, but we have solved the technical challenges. Now the challenges are commercial. And the commercial challenge of nanocellulose is a new material. It's wonderful, but it's new, which means it must disrupt existing supply chains. And to do this, we must have an application and a value proposition for the application. Otherwise, why would somebody replace component X with nanocellulose unless you can prove that by putting nanocellulose, you gain performance and you have uh, cost savings. So this is what we're engaged with now. Through these JDAs, we are developing prototype applications in different sectors like polypropylene, paperboard, polyethylene, polystyrene, carbon black. And this will, be, will um, create the market pool, which will allow us to supply bigger volumes. But to ask you a question, how near is it? I would say for commercial volumes, we're talking in the thousands of tons, the optimistic scenario would be we are uh, 16 months away to be able to supply those, and the kind of more pessimistic scenario would be we're 30 months away, but that's the time scale. So somewhere in that 2018 to 20, maybe late 2019, that's that's right. kind of what, what we're looking at right now. So that's not that's not yes. too far along. You're, you're certainly going to beat uh, beat NASA to Mars. We're going to have to take a break here. I really I want to I want to thank Kim Nelson, the Vice President of American Process, Head of Nanocellulose Technology. Uh, development there. Also, Theodore Retsina, the CEO of American Process. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us uh, today on TerraTech. Uh, to join in the conversation, we're taking your comments and questions. Um, you can call in live at 866-472-5788. We're getting quite a few of those via email and online. Thank you for those. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue looking at amazing foods and materials from pioneering bio-based companies like American Process. Uh, it's AmericanProcess.com. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Is that the uh, best way to find out more? AmericanProcess.com. Right. Thank you for having us at the show, Jim. Okay. So AmericanProcess.com. Gary Scoggins will be here after the break, and we'll be back uh, right after this. Uh, stay with us. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT 
is really what's going to drive some amazing oil prices. Yes, the story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know other technologies work, like DME and and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com/ablc. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing foods and materials from pioneering bio-based companies today. We're taking your questions throughout the program on technology trends. You can send comments and questions uh, via email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. You can call in live at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. 472-5788. We'd love to have your questions and comments throughout this program. But joining me in this segment, Gary Scoggins, one of the writers from New, is joining us as we look at companies like Impossible Foods and Plant Meat Matters, bringing advanced vegan meats and other foods to market. We're going to look at some other uh, technology trends. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me on. Impossible Foods. It's an improbably named company. Uh, it's it's unusual to name your your technology impossible. Yet um, yet they are proving the impossible is possible. There there've been some big news. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Impossible Foods does and is, and the latest on their progress towards commercial scale. I am very excited about this particular one. There has been some significant work done over the uh, last couple of years with Impossible Foods. Uh, This is the one that that, uh, everyone is talking about that is the plant-based burger that bleeds. And so it's a very unique structure that they've come up with, and one of the ingredients that they've added, which is heme, is is really, I think, the key category to that. Now, what's most important about them uh, recently is what we just reported. They have a fully funded project to construct a 67,000-square-foot plant where they intend to produce 1 million pounds of this plant-based meat product per month. And uh, one of the important things that they have done is they have tied uh, early on their marketing to uh, uh, restaurants, uh, 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 dining establishments and really trying to establish a cachet around the use of uh, the impossible burger that as they call it uh, of, you know, within fine dining and I think that that is a play that is helping them uh, work both from a marketing perspective as they perfect the science of, of, uh, of the plant uh, plant-based meat 
Yeah, they've been doing a lot of Silicon Valley-based uh, tasting events with celebrities. I mean, Sergey Brin, uh, co-founder of Google, has been spotted at, at one of those, and, and, and many others of uh, Silicon Valley legend uh, enjoying a, a, an Impossible Foods burger. We, we've got a couple of companies in this space, and, and in many cases, in, in many ways, they're trying to replace the cow. It's kind of like vegan technology, if you will. Uh, you've got companies like Perfect Day who are going for milk without the cow. You've got Modern Meadow going for leather without the cow. And you've got Impossible Foods going for, and others, going for meat without the cow. Um, is it is it really, you know, there in terms of the, you know, flavor performance? Does it perform well or is it, uh, are you trading down in order to go vegan? And that's a very, very good question. And what they're finding, in fact, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll note that Impossible Foods right now is telling you that they're only providing a ground beef product because it is exactly the issue of making sure that they can uh, uh, mimic directly the, the texture along with the flavor. Uh, I think, uh, now, I, I have to admit, I have not had one myself, so I cannot testify to the taste. But my understanding is that it has, has performed well in the taste tests. But it is at this point, Impossible Foods now, is at this point a ground uh, meat product. Now, interestingly enough, I, if, if you don't mind, I might segue here. There's a project going on in Europe that just kicked off. It's a, a, a multi-partner project that is going to look into the very basics of mimicking meat with plant-based material. And I, I think that uh, this speaks directly to your question. They are very much going after what are the, the drivers within uh, the, the chemical structure? What are the drivers that uh, make up flavor? What are the drivers that make up texture? And that is something that I think is the next step in this space. You know, it, it's going to be one of these philosophical questions that the vegan community, the vegetarian community might be grappling with a little bit is, you know, theoretically or in the past, the, the vegetarian or vegan choice was not only done for ethical reasons, but in many cases uh, for the perception of a health benefit of, a, you know, of a plant-based diet. And, and here you have a, a new technology coming along. You know, does it does it really pass the uh, the uh, the ethical and health thing? Are you really a vegan if you're eating a eating a, an Impossible Foods burger that that really has the same essentially the same performance as ground beef bought you know via the cow? Is it is it uh, is it is it a, a moral equivalent as well as a as well as a performance equivalent? What do, what do vegans what do they say about it? Do they like it? Do they like the idea? Well, you know, that, again, that's an interesting question, and, and of course it's going to come down to a, a subjective nature of, of everyone's own taste uh, uh, characteristics. I, I think what you will find is that, in general, uh, w what we have heard from people who have tested it is that it, it performs well. Uh, at the same time, I think that there is always the, the question of, well, you know, in my mind this isn't meat, so I'm not sure it really tastes like a burger. So I think that there, there are perception issues that we have to get past as well. Uh, uh, but it, at the same time, uh, there is a significant uh, momentum here. You know, we, we've, we've, we have reported on uh, Tyson uh, investing in Beyond Meats. Uh, there are a number of companies that are really looking at this as a growth sector. And so I think, I think you will find uh, a, a push towards making it much more acceptable. Now, on, on whether or not it's vegan or not, the answer is, technically 100% vegan. In the case of, of Impossible Foods, it's soy and, and wheat. 
And so, yes, they can make the claim that it is 100% vegan. Um, the other side of the question is I think if you are 100% vegan, then you also have the supporting case of, of uh, uh, helping us move away not only from a meat-based uh, uh, food environment, but uh, also taking care of some of the issues that, that many people speak about in terms of the methane effect uh, from cattle uh, farming. So I think there are a number of um, both sociological as well as nutritional reasons to, to follow this path. Oh, yeah, cutting out the middle cow. Gracious me. That'll be, it'll be big, big news around the world uh, wherever, uh, wherever people are looking at, at these choices, whether it's cost, performance, ethics, sustainability. You've been reporting uh, just last week or what, two weeks ago now, you reported on another company that was looking at uh, going to industrial scale with a plant pro- protein technology. It was it's called Plant Meat Matters. That's uh, a project out of the Netherlands. Uh, it's a public-private partnership. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about that. One of the things that was interesting to me when you reported on that was uh, dividing this into two areas of technology, one of which is the cell culturing, which uh, which you know, creates the actual material. But then there's this other technology called shear cell technology that transfers it into layered fibrous structures. So that was interesting to me when you were reporting on that. What's uh, what's the story with, with uh, Plant Meat Matters that, and that project uh, over in Europe? You're exactly right. Uh, this is, uh, I, I mentioned that just briefly earlier, this is really being driven by uh, uh, Wageningen University and Research, and uh, the approach is to uh, use this technology that they have created. They, they, they state that it is a mild production process. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it's something that can be reproduced uh, fairly readily. Uh, but it, this is based on... on many years of research, and I think, to your point, uh, it is the combination of using a technology that makes it uh, makes the production process much more efficient, uh, therefore much less costly, and that allows us to, to feed uh, this plant material uh, through this, this mild production process. And uh, the shear cell technology, um, I think, is something that is important that, that, is, uh, that the industry is going to take a serious look at one of the one of the technologies also um, trying to replace things made by cows um, we've had a lot of work in the area of milk one of the companies we've covered a perfect day makes it from sugar they for basically it's like a fermentation technology that creates a, a milk product uh, without without the cow there's another company called ripple foods which um, if if you ever saw the uh, movie 21 about a bunch of kids from MIT that went and took down Vegas, one of those kids, and, and actually it's a real story, one of those kids, Neil Reninger, uh, went on to uh, into the biotechnology space and has co-founded a company uh, called Amaris and, and later on now has co-founded a company called Ripple. Now, they're, they're making nutritious milk from peas, so, you know, green peas. Uh, some people don't like them, but everyone likes milk. So, you know, here's another uh, dairy-free opportunity. What, what do you think about about milk as a as a market as well as meat? Is that uh, uh, do you, do you do you think that that from a technology and a commercial point of view that those are going to be big winners in the future? I do, I do. Uh, what I'm seeing uh, in the in the reporting that we've done, uh, and, and it, it seems that it is in fact taking on momentum. But the reporting that we've been doing clearly indicates that there is a market. And uh, when when you look at the investments that are being made by major players in the industry, uh, I think that validates that there is a a consumer. 
consumer market here. So when you look across the board, if you're looking at uh, alternatives to meat, if you're looking at alternatives to dairy, if you're looking at uh, uh, ways to, to enhance the nutritional value of the food that we consume, all of these things combine in a way that is uh, not only beneficial from, from the perspective of, of feeding our population, but also from doing it in a sustainable way and in a way that, in fact, allows us to lessen the impact of feeding a growing population. So, I, yes, I am very hopeful that, that the, the, the developments that have occurred over the last several uh, months to year and a half are going to uh, be kind of the precursor of a, of a wave of significant development in alternatives to meat, whether it be uh, uh, milk, uh, cheese, meat, etc. You know, we're, we're getting to a situation where in the old days, um, let's say, go back the old days, seven, eight years ago, we had this uh, dichotomy and this debate going on in the advanced bioeconomy. It was, it was under the rubric food versus fuel. And the idea was you've got food and you need to make food. And you can sometimes use that, that food-based material like, let's say, corn or, or soymeal, uh, soybean oil to make uh, a fuel. And the, the debate sort of centered around whether that was a good idea to take, you know, food materials and turn them into a fuel when there are hungry people around the world. That was kind of the, you know, the debate. And there were some serious aspects to it and some pretty juvenile aspects to it. But it's kind of, Gary, turned itself on its head lately because we've got technologies like, uh, you know, Ripple and, and uh, you know, Beyond Meats and Impossible Foods creating food from materials that never, you know, were intended to, you know, nature had never intended us, uh, uh, evolved a way for us to make food in this way. At the same time, we've got companies like Callista, and they take methane, so, you know, natural gas, and they turned it into an animal protein. So it's, they're, make, they're turning fuel into food, and you've got, you know, food coming from different directions and you've got food coming, you know, has that, has that food versus fuel uh, debate or, or that rubric, is that lost its value at this point with the, with the way the technology has evolved? Well, certainly I think that's an issue of perspective. Uh, there are those that will tell you that, no, it has not lost its value, but I tend to agree with, with the premise that you just stated. I think that there has been a shift, and I think that it is much more a case of food and fuel now. And I believe that, that uh, you know, when, when you look at feeding the, uh, the ever-growing world population, you also have to realize the impact of feeding, if, if, again, if we're, if we're relying on meat, if we're relying on cows, uh, for meat, for, for uh, dairy products, etc., you also have to feed those animals. And so the, the cascade effect of feeding to feed us is what is impacting even further uh, the, the burden, if you will, uh, on the arable land in, in, uh, in the world. So I think that the, the, both the capabilities of drawing on resources that maybe we didn't have before in terms of using products that that maybe weren't originally intended to be food, but using those at different levels in the food chain uh, are all helpful. Well, you know, in, in the food versus fuel debate, let's just stay with this just for another half second here. 
Um, the idea was is I mean clearly you can't use field corn. It's not edible in a. You have to process it. You have to transform it because if you eat it raw, you'll get sick. You know, this is field corn. You know, number two dead corn. What you know what, what's grown out there in the Midwest isn't really edible sweet corn. It's it's usually you know what's called field corn. But the idea was is you shouldn't convert that into a fuel because it could be used as a as a food or in the, in the food chain, and but. So, so if the idea is that you can't, you shouldn't use anything to make, you know, energy that could be used to make a, a fuel. Why would you? Why would it be ethical to use natural gas for energy now that we can make food from it? Isn't it the same thing? My friend, you're exactly right. I, I think that there is a question here that that um, perhaps. We'll call it an unintended question that has occurred, and uh, we really, as a as a as a nation, as a world, we need to understand how to take uh, the resources that we do have and use them in more beneficial ways. I think uh, there are those that that are going to. Uh, stay with the food versus fuel argument and and can be very uh, uh, black and white about that. Uh, I'm not sure that, that that is an opinion that you will have much success in changing. On the other hand, I think, uh, as we are talking about here, the, the developments that are happening in technologies to support food production, the development of capabilities that happened in the fuel side that then can be converted into food production. I think all of these things work very well together and that we should not view it so much as a, as a either or, but that we find a way to use them in parallel. Well, one of the things that I think we're, we're all learning is that you really got to start reading the ingredients now because, you know, who knows what they're making this stuff from. And, you know, we're, we're learning a little bit more about, about labeling requirements. And, and you know, do you, do you think, do you see a time in the future when, when we're going to have a, a far more educated consumer who, who really not only has more things on the label to read, but, you know, has the background uh, to interpret all this stuff? You know, we've got you know, all th- anything from GMO over to these exotic ingredients to, uh, you know, what is your stuff made from? Where does it come from? These are, these are going to be big questions. Is it about labeling or is it about education? Uh, wow, that's a very good question. I think that, uh, first, you have a society, at least in the United States, let's, let's, uh, let's put some fences around it right now. In the United States, you have a very educated populace in general. You have uh, people who are more educated in, in nutritional things because they're more interested in it than others. Uh, but, but you have a framework already with the uh, uh, food ingredients that are, that are on the packaging, the nutritional uh, requirements that are labeled on the packaging. We're in a world right now where people look at those and they don't understand it in the first place. There are chemicals in there that they've never heard of. There are uh, measurements that are uh, not consistent. Uh, One thing is in grams. One thing is in servings. How much is a serving? So I think that you have, on the one hand, an educated population who wants to understand, but on the other hand, you have a messaging or a lack thereof coming from the the manufacturing community that has to be bridged. So that's point one. There is a communication. Hey, Gary, point before two we get to before is, we get is, to 
Gary, before we get to part two, we're going to have to take a short break. We're going to come back. Gary, stay with us. We're going to come back to this point. We also have a couple other uh, stories that that, uh, that you're reporting on that are important to communicate on, and we'd like to, to have you talk about those. When we come back, we're exploring amazing foods and materials from pioneering bio-based companies. We'll take your questions and your comments about technology trends. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing... Oil new- prices, yes. The story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing stuff from pioneering bio-based companies. We're taking your questions throughout this program on technology trends. Thank you for emailing those in. Uh, We'll get to those in a few minutes. Uh, Gary Scoggins, one of the writers from New, is joining us uh, this morning as we look at companies like Impossible Foods, Plant Meat Matters, and and others in the in the transformative advanced food space. Gary, right before the break, we were talking about uh, is it labeling, is it education? How are the consumers going to be able to handle this wave of technology that's changing the way that foods perform, but also where they're coming from? And you were uh, you were about to get into point two when the break arrived. So uh, where were we? Well, where we were going is in point two. Uh, you have. Now, very interesting uh, things that are, that are being developed f- uh, from a plant-based perspective, but if you look at the ingredients list, and I'll use Impossible Foods, we've been talking about them, I'll use them as an example. If you look at their ingredients list, it's, it's, it's actually more plain. It tells you the number one ingredient in their Impossible Burger is water and they're using soy, and they're using wheat. And so I think that what is happening is the industry is also trying to 
uh, well, shall we say, go back to the basics and use more basic foods that, that are, in fact, more nutritional for us and more easy to understand. Uh, at that level, when you have um, the availability of the product, when you have a communications, a messaging pathway that, that gets to the consumer and has them understand the differences, and then when you have the availability, this is the important piece about our, our discussion today about Impossible Foods, making that uh, million pounds a month available uh, is a critical step in that process. Yeah, we, 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 it's really a wide uh, spectrum these days. In the earlier segment, uh, Gary, we were uh, having uh, a segment on nan- nanocellulose, which is edible. So you have edible Kevlar now, and now you have companies like Impossible Foods. And one of the things that we've seen is sometimes research and sometimes uh, consumer trends and exciting trends get upended. So we, we thought that there would be... You know that vegans would always have to, you know, live without meat. Now we have they have new options, but we also find you were reporting on a story that that gluten free is not as uh, perhaps as attractive as it had been reported to be. What's uh, what's the story there? Gluten free is it is everything cracked out to be? What what's the latest in research? You know that's another interesting one, and and uh, it seems we're not picking on Impossible Foods. We we are just talking about them, but it seems like I'm picking on them. Uh, as a segue, there, uh, Impossible Foods makes an overt statement that they use wheat to make their burger. Therefore, it has gluten in it. Therefore, if you have uh, celiac disease and you have intolerance to gluten, you, you probably don't want to go that route. But the more important thing to this story is that there has not been any serious science to support the idea that having a gluten-free diet unless you have celiac disease is good for you. And in fact, a recent study has, has shown uh, a, uh, an association between not taking in gluten, particularly of, uh, cereal fiber, and an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. So I think that where we are, uh, where we are in this exciting space of, of food development, we're also in a very exciting space of understanding the impact of food on our bodies, how that happens, and at the same time, what may have been uh, accepted as, as uh, a, a, we'll call it a path, uh, may not be the right path to be on. So celiac disease affects um, approximately 1% of the population. doesn't sound like a lot, of, uh, a big percentage, but it is 3 million people. So that, that does need to be uh, taken into account. But type 2 uh, diabetes, of course, and diabetes has been, uh, you know, an increasing issue. So that's that's another issue as well. So so this can this confusion in the marketplace, these technology waves that are coming through, probably are going to make it harder for the consumer to make uh, to make smart choices without doing a lot of research. Is that is we're just going to get smarter about food? So is is smart food uh, the way to go? Not just uh, you know good food, but to being smart about food. Is that what we all have to be? I think you're going to see a day where there will be so many choices, you will be left with the option of deciding, okay, I'm going to pick the label that I know, or I'm going to pick something that is important to me. And so I think what it really is doing is it's giving you a broader spectrum of options to allow a more personalized approach to how people view the things that they consume. To your point, I think that there is uh, already a sense of overwhelming information, and we 
saying, I need to understand this. So I think it's a personal choice, but I think you're correct. Uh, the better choices will be made by those who have thought it through. So sometimes we're learning new things about new technologies, new products. Sometimes we're learning new things about stuff that's been around for a long time. You were reporting on a story just last week on drinking tea is uh, can reduce cognitive decline in the elderly. So, you know, a big, big topic as, as the population ages is cognitive decline, just forgetting stuff. And apparently drinking tea can help you out. What's the story there? That is exactly right. This is a study that came out of Singapore, actually, and uh, to be clear, this was a study that was conducted in China, and so they do want to expand their, their research to, uh, to ensure the assumption that uh, it is, there, there are not uh, genetic uh, race-based ties that we have to, uh, to think about. What they have found is that uh, consuming tea has a direct impact, uh, a direct impact in reducing uh, cognitive decline. And it's, it's really as simple as it gets. It's, it's so long as the tea is brewed from tea leaves. You know, it's not, not too hard to do. So is it, is it any kind of tea? Is it, is it just the, you know, green tea that, that is so famous throughout China? Or is it, uh, um, you know, is it your English breakfast too? Is it, is it a widespread uh, phenomenon or is it just one little type of tea? Do you know? There, there, are, there is good news there as well. It is all teas, black tea, oolong tea, green tea, as long as it comes from the tea leaf, as long as it is a whole tea. Now, you know, it's probably not something that you can, uh, you know, go down and get you a pack of instant tea and pour it in a glass and, and think that you're safe. I don't think it's the same thing there. I think that uh, the important piece here was that it is a natural-based process, and it is brewing from tea leaves, regardless of the, of the type of tea, but brewing from the leaves themselves. One of the things that happens around here in Digestville is I'm always forgetting where my coffee is, but my wife, who drinks tea, never forgets where her tea is. She drinks mate, which is, a, which is an Argentine uh, form of tea. So I wonder if, it, <laughs> I wonder if that explains, uh, explains many things. We had a, we had a number of uh, questions coming in from the readers or, and listeners, um, both online and, uh, and through the Twitter channel. So thank you very much for that. Let's, let's take a few of those now. So, uh, Gary, stay with us while we, while we threw a couple of these up on the, um, uh, uh, up on the airwaves here. We, we had a, a question about algae trends. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, listeners have been asking about what's going on with algae. Is it real? Um, there was a huge sort of summer of algae about seven, eight years ago where they were all going to make you know, biofuels, and we're going to run our jets on algae. And there were a number of advanced designs and of buildings that were going to grow algae on the outside. And it was sort of, you know, the green city of the future. And a lot of that, um, you know, remains in the future. But uh, some of these companies like Terravia, which is the old Solazyme, uh, used to focus on, on fuels and industrial materials. Now they're focusing on advanced nutrition. So they're going to advance food as well, using algae as a platform to make uh, a, a whole algal flower and uh, which uh, they call algavia, and they also have a, uh, a, a special specialty oil called um, alga pure, uh, pure. They also are making some some bio-based uh, um, skin creams in, under the um, uh, which you can you can buy at Sephora. You can also buy on on QVC. So uh, is that is that the way that we can expect algae companies to go to be focusing on things like nutraceuticals? Um, what about proteins? Are those uh, uh, what, what do you what do you hear about algae? 
I couldn't agree more. I think that all these things are, are uh, happening and uh, moving very rapidly. In fact, we just uh, reported recently a joint venture between DSM and Avonic where uh, they are uh, taking omega-3 fatty acids directly from uh, marine algae, and it is targeted to animal nutrition. You know, uh, let's, let's fold back just for a minute here to what we were talking about before, the various stages of feeding our population. This is an area where we can feed the animal component to the human nutrition, and we can do it both sustainably and uh, nutritiously. So I think that it is important to understand that algae has had many, many, um, we'll call them hills and valleys, and that uh, as it has gone through that cycle, there has been uh, success in nutraceuticals, there has been success in cosmetics, and now you are seeing success in animal nutrition. The key difference here is that you have uh, a volume market, you have a commodity market, where you have the nutraceuticals and the cosmetics, those are all very high-value mar- uh, markets, and, and in their own right, that's, that's a good thing. By the same token, uh, to expand into uh, a much broader uh, opportunity, such as animal nutrition, I think is a very good uh, sign for the, for the algal industry. Now, Gary, we're going to out you here for a second in your in your uh, uh, terrestrial life, as opposed to your life on the airways here with uh, TerraTech and also with New. You're you're on the verge of opening a um, not a health food restaurant, but certainly a, uh, uh, an advanced, uh, potentially a platform for advanced uh, foods and nutrition. Tell us a little bit about your your shop that's opening uh, this week out out uh, near near the in the Seattle metro area. Well, thank you, Jim, for that. I, I'm, I'm happy to take a few minutes and do that. Uh, we are about to uh, have the uh, grand opening of Chalk Elan. Chalk Elan is a fine chocolates and dessert bar where we are serving ganache out of its shell. So if you think in terms of a truffle, all that yummy good stuff on the inside, the creamy chocolatey stuff, that's called ganache. Well, you know, we've taken it a step further. We actually serve you a small bowl of ganache along with little things that I Oh, pieces of cake, uh, pieces of of, uh, uh, croissant, things like that. And you get to dip and or smear that ganache all over everything that you want to eat. So, mm, oh, by the way, we have wine, we have craft beer, and uh, come on down. And you're in the Seattle area. Where are you? Maple Valley. Maple Valley. If If I'm going from downtown, how do I find Maple Valley? If you're coming from downtown, you want to uh, head southeast, get on uh, Highway 169, and Highway 169 will take you literally to the intersection where our store is. Chocolon is in Maple Valley. So, so Gary, is, you're, you're in the business. You're going to be buying ingredients from people. How do you look at this, this space? I mean, is this, is this something that your, your, your customers uh, would be interested in, and, uh, or is it just a, a, you know, an ingredient story that, that you'll, you know, be, be, that you're going to be thinking more about price and performance, and, and uh, this is for someone further up the value chain, or is it, or is this something that consumers really care about this, uh, this ingredient revolution? Uh, they really do care. Uh, as a as a business owner and as uh, someone who who is interacting directly with the consumer, I can tell you that they care. Uh, we have done significant market research, and uh, the feedback has has you know what we're talking about here. People ask us if our chocolate is gluten free. Well, yes, chocolate is gluten free. There's no wheat in it. But 
if you create a product with wheat in it, well, there's your gluten. So I think that the bigger issue that we see uh, is, uh, are we sugar-free? And we have made a, a choice that we are all about indulgence. We're not about sugar-free. But you may, we may see some products coming down. Uh, companies like Evolva uh, and others may give us some opportunities uh, for life beyond uh, choosing between sugar and, and, the, and the current sugar substitutes. Well, that's all we have time for this morning on Terratech. We're going to be back next Wednesday at 9 Eastern as we take another dip into the changing world of products all around us. Thank you very much, Gary, for joining us uh, for this extended segment on Advanced Foods. And good luck with uh, Chocolon uh, opening this week in, in Maple Valley. Uh, until next week, I'm Jim Lane, wishing you a great day in this new world of opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Terratech. Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life. 